gold. All right, so welcome back, Adjacent Fam. It's your boy, Alex, uh, here for another episode of Adult Adjacent. Um, I got another guest for you all. His name is Tristan McNeil. He is a real estate agent for Costello Real Estate Investments, located in the greater Charlotte, North Carolina region. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? How y'all living today? Hopefully living well. They're probably quarantined, you know, like everybody else. We're just waiting for the day outside opens back up. <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, I, I feel you on that. I mean, I you know, when this stuff first started, I, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a couple of weeks. And then I slowly realized that, nah, we're going to be up on this for a few months, get, get myself yeah. right. Yeah. You know, if anything, I'm thinking it might go at least another like year and some change from learning how to live with it to getting a vaccine to everybody getting the vaccine, right? Because, you know, our people probably won't be rushing to get this vaccine, right? Oh, no, I mean, totally. I mean, look, even with the regular flu vaccine, I, I, I'd be like, mm, I don't need that this year. And then so with this vaccine, I don't know. But people people might, though, if they feel like they need the vaccine to go places without a mask and just freely live again, they, they might be the first ones in line, you know, almost like Jordan's when it's about to sell out. <laughs> so true. Um, well, I'm, I'm just very intrigued to see what the, the vaccine implementation process will look like because... That's a you gotta give it to the whole world, right? And that's like a lot. It's a lot. Oh of yeah, and, and the cost factor on that is gonna be ridiculous because this. Yeah. I can I can see where they'll have some over the counter like normal stuff that's like yeah you take this and you'd be good or more like a preventative versus where you can go get the expensive kind that's probably gonna be on the level of all right you you got this and you're good for three years type deal. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it'll be a good time navigating that. And so hopefully people are real nice and comfortable living and working from home if that allows. And we just got to learn to stay still, man. Yeah, no, I feel you that too. It don't bother me from work from home. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying it till we bring our students back because I'm going to be very, very afraid. But we'll, we'll come across that bridge here in a month. Oh, yeah. Um, mask up. <laughs> yes, always mask. Um, all right. So just like every other episode, um, I always start off with an icebreaker question. And so uh, the question that I have for you is, so if you think back to like your first adult purchase, if I guess if you had to think about the time range, of, so I guess like college or after college, which, whichever one you want to choose, uh, what's one thing that you purchased that you did, that was way more expensive than you thought it ever would have been? All right. So that that's a, that's a good question. And I can, I got a very specific example for that. So <laughs> Coming out of high school, that's like when like the iPhone, like the new model had dropped. I don't even remember what it was, but I think it was like 2008. So it probably was like the 3GS or something. Yes, and exactly so I had saved up money from my summer job right before we was going into freshman year. So I was like, well, my parents aren't going to buy me this iPhone and I want this iPhone. So back then, iPhones were like $500. I mean, they're still relatively cheap if you know get last year's model. But I saved up the $500 and went to school with the iPhone. And I think when I got to school, I probably had like $100 in my account because I spent all my money on this iPhone. <laughs> I felt like an adult at that time. So I was like, 
I finally got a phone that my parents aren't paying for. I got a plan. I didn't really have a plan of how I was going to pay the bill, but I figured that out along the way. And I was so <laughs> excited about this iPhone because I could say I finally got my own iPhone. That's that's hilarious. Uh, the iPhone 3GS, that, that makes me feel old in <laughs> one. Because uh, they're on, what, 11, 12 now? Something like that? 12, 11? Yeah, I think, what is it like? I just I just got a new one for that for the business. I, I don't even know honestly. I think it's technically eleven or mid eleven, and I think they're trying to determine whether or not they're going to call the next one to twelve. Because you know they always have these sub years when they drop like yeah. smaller phones, and I think they did that last year. Yeah, yikes! And then you had your three GS in college. <laughs> Lol, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> I like that story, man. I'm, I'm, you remember that with great detail, so I, I can tell that was a, a great moment for you. Oh yeah, pretty pretty vivid. <laughs> okay, do you still have that phone, or did you throw it away? Nah, I don't have that phone. I I, I don't even know what happened to it. I don't know if I broke like I don't know if I broke it. I sold it, traded in. Um, but I've had an iPhone ever since. I never switched out to like Android and like let me try this or let me go get these new stuff that all these people said because you know back in the day we would just jailbreak an iPhone. Now mm-hmm. you don't really got to do that because all the features you would have jailbroken for are present. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for participating in that. It takes me <laughs> back because we're the same age. And so like, I remember those days of like getting an iPhone and stuff. And uh, like, I still have mine because I usually don't throw my phones away. And like every time I move somewhere, I find it. I'm like, wow, why do I still have this? And it's this archaic piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. I will say I did match my iPhone with an iPod for I, I don't know how long, but because remember, the, the iPhones had limited storage for the longest, so it's like right. trying to play music on them joints was not the business. iPod with a touch wheel. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I guess in transitioning to today's topic, uh, so kind of how I got here, just to give you some context. Um, you know, we're, we're in the age of life, so we're 30s, early 30s. There's some people in the late 20s, and I think people in this, like, adult age range, you know, the biggest question or, like, the next, like, life milestone i guess like outside of having kids and getting married is usually like home ownership right like oh you got your own house do this and that uh and so like for me i know i know nothing about living like having a house or anything because i live on a college campus and i've never paid rent physically for where i live in my adult journey so far i've always lived on a college campus uh and then i just kind of see what people kind of go through and so i figured why not bring somebody with the expertise like a realtor to give us that information Oh yeah, that, that, I mean you you hit the nail on the hammer with that one. I mean you go through life and either it all it clicks or it doesn't at some point. Like you know what, maybe I should make the grown up decision to buy a house. But then there's also you know certain constraints that we just go through life and it's like when we get to the moment that we want to buy, either we're ready or we're just not. And and truthfully, it can it's a de- definitely an emotional roller coaster for you know depending on your family dynamic or how hard you work to get to that thing and it just it's, it's just a rewarding feeling both personally and you know seeing clients go through that as well too okay okay that's fair um so i guess like as people let's, let's start off as you know somebody has no no idea about home ownership i guess like what are some things that you would like advise them to consider before like even exploring that option so like should they still rent or should they uh explore home ownership like what are some things you would suggest people to think about as they make that decision for themselves Got you. So, you know, first thing I do when I talk to somebody or they just bring up the concept of, hey, I think I'm ready to buy a home. 
I kind of walk them through and get an understanding of their current situation before I start going into housing jargon or whatever, because I could tell you to have a credit score of this and you know, that first and a third, but if I don't understand where you're at in life and, you know, kind of your financial situation, it's not going to help. So like a lot of times people, people who are really novice to the home buyer process, they'll come in and say, Hey, I've heard it's cheaper to rent than buy. In theory, in some places, yes, that's true. Some places it's not like, where you have a high cost of living, yeah, I mean, you're paying that high rent, but the equivalent rent could still be your mortgage. And so a lot of times people think that they can just transition from renting automatically to buying. Now you can, but there's still some money aspects to it. So, you know, upfront cross from buying, um, having a certain amount of cash and savings, and there's no clear number to that. But, you know, I discussed that with folks as well. And then, you know, your credit score, and your debt to income ratio are some of the most important things. But there are so many factors that it's like, I, you got you to gotta educate people and have that conversation with them. So one, you don't give them the, hey, go talk to a lender and see where you're at. And then they get defeated. And it's like, well, you told me to do this because they're, people are entrusting you to guide them in the right direction. So if you get off on the bad foot with them to begin with, they're going to look at you and be like, dang, all relatives are garbage or <laughs> well, he's trash and I need to go get somebody else. And they're just going to be just as confused <laughs> when they meet the next person. And you got to have patience with people too. So, Okay. All right. I mean, that, that, that makes sense. And so I guess to, I guess, save people, save themselves from getting like a bad realtor. Like, I guess like how to, what's the, what's an appropriate process to like kind of screen through realtors. Right. Cause you know, if somebody says they're a realtor, like you really don't know what to like ask, what to see if they like what they know, like, what should people do to help them find a realtor? Yeah, I mean, there, there there's some people that will go uh, the standard route. I mean, it would be perfectly 100%. Real estate is relationship-based. So, you know, nine times out of 10, most people know two or three realtors. And they may not even know that they're realtors, but they know them, right? The other way mm-hmm. is, you know, for people to just kind of be aware of, hey, do you work with first-time home buyers? Because some people truthfully don't work with first-time home buyers. And then two, you know, ask them what their patience level is with, you know, educating them and to ask them, are they willing to educate them on the buying process and things of that nature? And then, you know, three kind of, you know, asking them what their experience is. You know, a lot of times people say, ask folks what, how, what their sales are, you know, how many years of experience and stuff like that. And true, some of that matters, but again, it's all relationship-based. A person with six months of experience could have all the time in the world to give you what you need as a first-time home buyer versus a person with, you know, four or five years of experience may not even have time to show houses. And it's not because they're too big or to do whatever. It's the way that they run their business might not fit the time for them as an individual to do a certain activity. So you really just want to get to know a person really at that point too is see if you guys are a good fit because, you know, you can get a realtor anywhere but again making sure that good fit is good so that 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 way that that not only will they be a it'll be a good relationship but they'll be a good advocate for you um as you go through the buying process okay um so i guess like how how do you find a fit right like is this like relationships like do you really have to like go go get coffee with them do you have to like follow them on social media like i guess like what what is the the process to do that because when i hear fit, Um, i just think yeah it's a combination of uh of all i mean so Honestly, the best 
the best way is a, a referral. So, you know, if you call me up and say, hey, my, my homie in Charlotte is looking for a house. Uh, I told him you're a great realtor. Um, I'm about to connect y'all. That's probably going to be your best relationship and fit because they're already trusting somebody else that knows you and knows how to operate. So that's one way. Um, but yeah, coffee is another way. So like if someone, let's say if I'm running marketing or I mail something to somebody and say they call me or email me, or, you know, I'm running, I'm on social media and somebody direct messages me or something they've seen, I'm, I'm selling a house and they see my sign. They may call and say, Hey, I need your services. Or they may have Googled me. I need your services. So, you know, maybe have that initial conversation and see kind of, what they're looking for, and then probably schedule a follow-up to where we would meet in person. So whether that be, you know, at, you know, at a coffee shop for drinks or whatever, and really get to know that person to kind of see, because again, I'm always upfront with that too. If it's somebody I don't know, I say, hey, let's see if we're a good fit. Because on my end as well, they, the, the money probably will be there, but, you know, it may not be a good relationship between us. Like, maybe their working style doesn't fit or maybe their needs are unrealistic or, you know, maybe the scope of what they're looking at is too far out. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's so many different elements. And really, again, it's getting to know one another because that what that'll help in the, in the further along is you'll trust me. You may refer me to other clients. Um, you feel comfortable that you got what you needed out of the home buying experience and that you didn't miss out on anything. I mean, I've heard several times with people, and I've even dealt with this with somebody, with a friend now, my realtor didn't tell me this, or why did my realtor do this? Or I don't think my realtor has my best heart of interest. They just want to get the deal done. I'm like, you don't have to work with them, but uh, but they're my friend, you know, this is a, and so that's where you got to be able to take the personal relationship out of business. Like, a lot of times people make a commitment and it's just like, you don't have to do that. If that's not where you feel comfortable. Okay. So like, so I guess like when you're choosing a realtor, like you have to like sign a contract or is this like, how, like, how do they, I guess, like, how do you solidify that? Oh yeah. So from a, so there's two things on a buying side and seller, well, both on a buyer and seller side, we have what's called agency. So agency is really the representation that you get to say, I'm going to, be to you of service. Um, The most common are exclusives. Um, There's other forms, but I'm not going to bore the details with that. But meaning on a buyer side, once you sign that agency agreement, then you agree that me as your realtor, I will represent you um, throughout the transaction, only me exclusively. Um, And then my, my responsibility to you is, you know, confidence, integrity, you know, I have fiduciary responsibilities and stuff like that. So in in terms of the seller side, it's very similar too, but you're basically saying that me and my firm have the exclusive right to sell your property. Now, why that why these agreements are important is because once an offer is made on a house, either on the buyer or seller side, if these agreements are not in place, then you as a realtor technically aren't representing the client, like everything's verbal. So this goes into like legal legalities around the statute of fraud and all this other stuff. And so, but it also protects the work that the realtor has been putting in because again, if, if I'm working with you and you're, you know, for example, I've been out three weeks showing you a house, right? From a buyer standpoint. 
been out showing, I didn't show you 30 houses, one house today. And, you know, you get down to them, like, I don't like any of these houses. On day 31, let's just say you were looking on Zillow and you clicked on something at somebody else's house. I wasn't available and you went out to the agent who had the house on Zillow. You love the house. You're like, oh, I want to put an offer in. So the agent's like, well, are you working with somebody? Yeah. Well, did you sign anything? No. Well, I can get you started with the offer in and if you just sign my agreement. Now, that's kind of shady because <laughs> they they should have, the other agents should have been like, hey, I am, go, go back to your agent and do this. But again, you're not protected because if I'm working with you, then you're protected and stuff like that. So it, it's so many factors. And that's the stuff that, you know, those nitty gritty details that we'd be talking about in a buyer consultation. Okay. <laughs> that, that sounds like some shady stuff, but that also is like business, right? I guess that's capitalism. That's America, honestly, in, in some, right. some regards. So, Look, um, I mean, you tell me, you tell me you're not working with nobody and there's an opportunity to make some more money. Now, as long as it don't put me at a conflict of interest, cool. I, I'm, I'm not going to be you know misrepresented misrepresented but at the same time it's like well let me double up on this paper and that's that's what a lot of people try to do okay okay then that makes sense um all right so let's say person they've now have found the right fit they feel like this person will advocate and do what they got to do uh, i guess like what are some more like general steps because i know the home buying process is very complicated but i guess if you had to like categorically kind of like put them into groups of like kind of how you work through that like what are some of the next steps in the yeah process? so if, if you wanted to have like high level steps of what this looks like as a as a home buyer right so you know your first step would be on your own side you want to pull your own credit so you know they there's lenders that can that can write well historically there's lenders that can write up to 580 i'll kind of explain what that looks like but the score you're really shooting from from a minimum standpoint that a good one of brokers can write is a 620. Um, but you still want to you want to pull it and kind of know what that range is. Um, then after that, you want to I, I suggest connecting with a realtor and mortgage lender um, simultaneously, because if you're working with a, a pretty good realtor, they can make suggestions on who to go with. Because, again, if your credit isn't ideal, then um, then the most lenders will work with you to get on a credit plan that will get you to the point that you're ready. Um, once you speak with that lender, that lender will let you know if you're pre-approved. So what it means to be pre-approved is the maximum amount of home you can afford. So they'll show you this is your purchase price. And then based off of your purchase price, they'll explain to you various different loan programs that you qualify for um, and then what a down payment would look like for that. Um, when they do the, the pre-approval process, they do a they do a hard pull on your credit. Um, and they're basically looking at your credit score. You're, you're providing, you know, your current level of income, uh, your where your job is, um, housing history. If you own a property, if you don't, your rent history. But that doesn't really play too much of a factor there. Um, your W-2s, and then your recent pay stubs, like your last two pay stubs and your last uh, two months of bank statement. From there, they'll do a financial snapshot to determine your maximum affordability. That again, that maximum purchase price is your maximum affordability. And then they'll say what your loan to value is based off of your down payment amount. Once you get pre-approved, then this is when you want to start looking for houses. You don't ever 
want to start looking for houses before you're pre-approved because let's just say, oh, I want to buy a house like Jesus rents. I want to buy a house for three hundred thousand dollars, right? But in real in reality, if based on your income, you can only afford two fifty, you're gonna be disappointed when someone comes back and says, yeah, we can't get that. Now it's not impossible because if you want a house that's three hundred thousand dollars, but you can only afford two fifty, well that's when negotiation comes in. Probably not gonna get fifty thousand dollars off the price. But you can get a little bit, and then if you have excess cash to, you know, get the difference down to your loan to value, then that works too. Um, once you get to the point where you've got pre-approved, then from there, you'll go look for the house that you like. Once you find a house that you like, then you'll work with your agent to put an offer in. So your offer is basically the amount that you think that you're going to buy the house for. And basically, you'll come to the offer amount with your agent. They'll basically run, you know, similar properties that's been sold in the area to make sure you're getting the value in it. Um, if there's any upgrades, if it's new construction, that's a whole different story. Um, but yeah, so put an offer in, and once your offer is put in, then you'll wait to see if it gets accepted or if the sellers come back as a counter offer or stuff like that. Um, within that offer, you'll put in with two important things. One's called earnest money and the other is called due diligence. Um, the earnest money really serves as a good faith deposit um, that you're gonna purchase a home. So that will sit in escrow with whoever the closing attorney is or title company. And you'll get that as a credit back to when you buy the property and it comes off the purchase price. Um, the other money that you typically send to somebody um, on a, more so on a resale versus a new construction is a due diligence or due diligence yep so the diligence goes directly to the seller and that check is made to them saying hey i'm in good faith gonna buy your house take it off the market and don't make it marketable to sell um right now that doesn't mean the transaction is closed that just means that it's under contract uh once they accept that those that for consideration and sign the contract um there's no set percentage on your earnest money and due diligence amount, you'll you'll read from time to time that it'll be one to three percent, one to one percent, half percent, whatever. Again, there's no set amount. Everything in real estate is negotiable. That is the one thing that people need to remember. So, <laughs> okay. um, yeah. But once you once that goes, you go through a due diligence period. Um, and the due diligence period that's used for, you know, if again if it's a resale doing your inspections, appraisals, making sure that the house is fit for you. And, you know, that also gives time to say if there's any major things going on or issues, if you want to negotiate repairs before it's sold. Some states and some loan programs require certain things to be repaired before they will lend the money. Um, if it's a cash purchase, it doesn't matter at that point. It's more so as a cash buyer, are you going to buy the house or not? Um, after due diligence is over, then, you know, from a lending standpoint, you're working with your lender to get your final loan um, approved and ready to close on the property. And when you close on the property, that's the day that it's recorded. Um, it's recorded at the public, uh, goes to the clerk of court, and that's when ownership transfers and you become a homeowner. So it's a little bit more cumbersome than that, but that's like the five minute elevator speech <laughs> welcome Jesus, to homeowner class that, that that was short <laughs> 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 Woo! 
Uh, that that. So I guess like, what is like the typical like time frame from like start to like oh I'm getting a realtor to like closing on a house? Like what's like on average like what you normally see in terms of like from start to finish? Man, that is a that is a it depends because you could have somebody like I got a current client right now that I've been working with since last year. And they're perfectly fine. For them, they just want to save money um, for their down payment. Like, I can meet somebody tomorrow, right? And this actually happens crazy. I can meet somebody tomorrow, and they're just like, yeah, I just need a realtor. They may already have a house in place that they want to go see. Hey, I want to see this. Can we see it? Yeah, sure. All right. You know what? I love this house. Let me put an offer in. And from there, I've already asked them pre-qualifying questions like, it's not like, hey, I want to go see this house. No, I've already asked them, hey, are you working with a realtor? Hey, have you been pre-approved? If you've been pre-approved, shoot me over that pre-approval letter. All right, sounds good. Here's what it's like to work with me. Um, if you agree to work with me, then we're going to sign this agreement. And all right, bet. So like the quickest, in a sense, if it was an all-cash purchase, then you could honestly be done in 14 to 21 days. If you're dealing with somebody that's lending, then again, it depends. Like, it doesn't take that long to get pre approved, but depending on how long it takes them to find a house. So, I would say if you're in an ideal situation, two to three months, um, probably as you're building a relationship with somebody, it, they say real estate operates in 90 day cycles. So, probably more so along the three to four months if you're getting to know somebody and getting to know what, what they're looking for. Um, on the sales side, it could be different. So, I mean, you know, if somebody's ready to sell their house, then we have to prepare. I would say the preparation for selling a house is about two weeks before it goes on the market. So making sure the house is clean, making sure it's decluttered, if people are still going to be living in it, if they're not, making sure that everything's empty. Um, we got to take pictures. We got to do measurements, um, videos if possible, get the marketing material prepared. So then after that two-week period, you know, be ready to go live. And it depends on the market. Like, here in Charlotte, boy, look, the, I, you, you're not going to tell me five years ago that houses in the $300,000 mark or and above would leave and fly off the market in 48 hours. Like, I wouldn't have believed it. But yeah. our, our average cost, like, our, our median average price of a house it has been teetering between the 260s and 280s since last year. Average listing price um, when they get sold has been north of 300,000. So we've climbed. Um, like I remember, I bought my first house in 2013 when, or it was the year after um, I graduated from undergrad. And truthfully, I didn't know much about the home buying process um letter for real estate i was just like i was committed to buying a house the bank said they was gonna give me some money to buy this house so i said like i'm gonna buy this house and um yeah i bought my first house for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. it was a four bedroom two and a half bath just you know a little over 2500 square feet and i thought i was doing something because i was like oh i can I'll, I'll get the space and you know 2500 square feet is a good amount of space once you measure that joint out and so after funny thing to know about Charlotte is once it was all said and done, my house had grew in equity um, 
so much that it it was like the average sales price in that neighborhood was like 240s 250s now i didn't make i, I wasn't always as smart with my money as i could have i had refinanced my house a couple of times so i didn't make as much as i would have wanted to when i sold it but i still did pretty well and so that's the biggest thing that we we don't realize from a home ownership standpoint it's not just the the thought of owning a home it's really understanding the asset class that you have when it comes to real estate and even if you want to grow your portfolio and i think for us as black people specifically you know it's kind of one of those dreams of all right my you know starts when you're in college i'm the first one to go to college right and then or i'm the first one or it might even start younger i'm the first one to graduate from high school that's an accomplishment I'm the first one to graduate from college. That's accomplishment. Ooh, I'm the first one to get a corporate job <laughs> in my family out of, you know, after I graduated, you know, stuff like that. So now you become, now you're looked up upon differently. And so now your goals change and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, right, you know, I'm supposed to own a house by age, whatever, or, you know, it's like the goal is to own the house. It's not necessarily always what can the house do for me? Like once you get that house, you feel like you made it. And that's, and that's true for a lot of people. Okay. Okay. So what I'm hearing is one, it takes a long time, right? So like, if you're going through this process, like you got to really know, like you got to have the time and intentionality to navigate it. Right. Is that, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, and then also I'll say too, like it probably takes a, a changing in mindset. Right. Cause like oftentimes, like if you rent a lot, like you just see it as like, I just live here and that's it. But like, now that you own the home, like it's now an asset that can like help you navigate life, right? Like it's, it's, this can make you money or this can also like save you money and there's different things you can do to leverage having this asset in your portfolio, right? Oh yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. And I think, it, I think it, 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 you, you hit it on the head, like mindset wise, like ownership versus renting. Like you're so used to, all right, I'm going to pay my rent and make sure, you know, I'm good for the next couple months. You know, I think having your own house gives you a sense of safety and security and pride because you know you're not you're not thinking about oh well i gotta pay the landlord and if i don't pay the landlord i could just go somewhere else before that eviction notice hits my credit and uh i'll be good so and i think that's a big thing too where not not just checking your credit score but knowing what's actually on your credit so a lot of times what you'll find out is anybody and you know this not any particular person or group of people, but anytime you ask somebody about their credit and they're like, yeah, I got a few things on it. <laughs> a few <laughs> things is normally like 10 things. And you're like, all right, oh, you just, you got some, you just ain't paid a bill here or you just got high debt. Like, nah, I got two evictions and uh, I got some hefty medical bills that are just still there. And then I ran off with my car and I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, I make money. I'm saving a few thousand dollars, and I'll be ready to buy a house in two months. Nah, boo boo, you're not gonna be ready to buy a house in two months because <laughs> the lender is gonna look at you as a flight risk. They're like, nah, we can't. <laughs> it's just too much. So, like, I think that's the other thing too that is being open minded and being real with yourself. Because if you're not real with yourself. And you're like, well, why, why do they want me to do this? Or why I got to do this? Like that, that, and then they'll also kind of be like, oh, that was three, four years ago. That was, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm like, yeah, it was three, four years ago, but it's still in your credit. 
and it's on there for a reason. And lenders aren't going to be like uh, three, four years ago. Like when stuff starts dropping off, cool. Now, if you got something on your credit from like 10 years ago, which it shouldn't be there, that's a whole different story. Then that's when you got to fight that. But again, being realistic with yourself um, is key. I mean, it does take a little bit of money to buy a house, right? So because a lot of people always ask, well, how much should I save for a down payment? And even, and it's crazy, because even if you Google right now, Google will say 20%. Like, mad articles say 20%. And that is just not true. Like, you can go into a house with as little as a 3, 3.5% down payment. Actually, if your credit is good enough, there's some companies that will allow you to do 100% financing. So there's oh, like God. so many different, yeah. I mean, but it's, look, like think about this. Let's say your first time home buyer, right? And I like using teachers because teachers are public workers who are underpaid, but do so much for the community, right? And you, you would think that the way that they're treated should be, you, they would get extra attention. But let's just say you got a teacher that we're gonna get, be generous here, a teacher that makes $60,000 a year. And but they have a low debt to income ratio, which for those who don't know what debt to income ratio means is the percentage of your credit, credit cards and stuff like that with versus your available balance to what you actually make in a month. Um, so they have a low debt to income ratio, don't really have a lot of credit card bills, you know, no outstanding, but have excellent credit, right? So let's say they got a seven fifty and higher. Well, they may qualify for that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house based off that income ratio, because what a lender is looking at is the percentage of your income that will go towards your housing bill. And, you know, they typically want to keep that, you know, 35% and lower. So looking at it from that aspect, they're like, oh yeah, well, I know you don't save a lot of money, but based off your rental history and, you know, the way your lifestyle, yeah, you'll be able to afford your mortgage, no problem. So, and we're not even going to charge you to fund this product because we'd rather you see see you thrive in your home ownership. So, and you've shown that you're a responsible adult and we don't, we have no concerns about you paying this money back. So that's basically what it's saying by getting 100% financing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna get a really high interest rate either. Because typically speaking, the higher your credit is, the better your rate's gonna be. Okay, all right. So you really like have to like, by the time you establish credit, like really be intentional about how this is going to affect me in the long run. Cause even the smallest things that you make mistakes in your early twenties get really derailed oh, yeah. with your process looks like later. Right. Listen, I've, I've been through it personally. Like they, I, there's been a time where, like when I was younger, where I had like really good credit and I was just excited because my credit score was going up, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to use it properly. And so I was like, yeah, it'd be cool. Then there's a time where I messed up my credit and it's like, all right, well, you got to work on that. And then there's the some things that's like, all right, you know what? As I get older, this is going to be important really one day. So, and I started realizing that from an investment standpoint, like you see a lot of times where on the real estate investment side, you can do hard money lending, private investors, or you know, there's no income or get, we can help you buy this house and so all this other good stuff, right? Well, typically speaking, you may not have to show income, but you still got to show a good credit score generally on the higher side and not be a risk to them and show that money can be made in the process. So yeah, credit's important. Okay. Okay. 
hopefully everybody's out there listening. Make sure you get your money right. Uh, even if you're not thinking about home ownership, like just having a high credit score will help you in life and make your life not as expensive no matter what you decide to do later if you have to lend or like borrow for it uh, is what I would say. Um, so I guess like changing gears like a little bit. So like let's say part of the process is kind of figuring out like what you want in a home. And so I guess like what are some things that like you would like that you see in your experience that people like either fail to think about or like struggle to think like to think about as they like look at homes from like so if like number of rooms to like amenities to anything like that. Interesting. So yeah, I mean one of the things that I think that I've experienced recently is look so one of the things we always say in real estate is location, 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 right? So mm-hmm. when let's say when things are back to normal, you have a lot of people with like the corporate jobs that want to live close to downtown. Well, there's other people that want to live in the suburbs. And then when you have people with families, they want to be close to their kids' school. So I've dealt with situations to where people will love everything in their house, right? And that they're looking for, but it's right outside their threshold of commute. Like I, I went back and forth with somebody. Well, I didn't, not literally went back and forth, but I tried to understand or be understanding for somebody who was looking at a house that was, let's say, eight minute commute from their kid's school versus a 14 minute commute, right? And both were straight shots. But the house that was 14 minutes away loved everything that they wanted. But they just kept coming back and saying, well, is there anything closer? And in the area that they're looking for, the inventory was very limited and it was not in their price range. And they was like, I just, I don't, just don't know if I can do it. House is great though. So, and it's just like so little tedious things like that. I mean, you'll deal with, you know, I, I think most people, what's most important to people is bathrooms and kitchen. So, you know, if the kitchen's outdated, they're not going to go for that. Um, not necessarily the, the biggest bathroom, but, you know, I think, I, again, I've, I've dealt with some people who had a certain taste for affordability that they were where they were at in life and it just couldn't afford them to get to where they what their what their appetite was for and so you get some of that and so kind of it is difficult in a rising market to find things that aren't too small for them or too too belittling like for me it no matter what the price range is i try to put myself in somebody else's shoes in the sense of i wouldn't want to live somewhere just to have a house right and I, and I go through that with a lot of people like, yes, the process for home ownership is a beautiful thing, but don't just buy a house just to buy a house, right? To say you own a house. That's, that's pointless. Like, if you're going to do that, you might as well just put a renter in it and make some money off of it, right? Um, but yeah, don't just buy a house to buy a house. And so every, everybody's taste is different. Like, it's interesting enough, I've ran into people who like that older feel. That, that classic feel like they just like it right um you got people who want brand new and so they want i got i got a client right now who's building and they went balls out you know the light features the the accessories on the cabinets um all the way down to the door handles in every door in the house so you know pe- some people love that little detail but i would i also tell people is no matter the size of the room, no matter the layout, it's like you can always see if it's staged, you can always see the bells and whistles. But 
it's not your house until you get into it. So people really turn a house into a house. So if you if you fit their basic needs of bedrooms, bathrooms, um, really understanding like what their family dynamic is. So kind of understanding their motivation for the size that they need, um, that'll really get to the house that speaks to them. Okay. Okay. Uh, you, you said a lot of great things in there, man. <laughs> just, and it just, it just makes me really think about like, kind of like, why are you getting a house? Right. So really know why and like what you really need. Uh, cause like, yes, it's nice to have all the bills and whistles and you look at, you know, I'm sure Zillow is your best friend as a realtor, right? Uh, <laughs> lots of people get on Zillow and be like, oh, look at this beautiful house has X, Y, Z. Like, but you don't need that. And I don't fit your price range. And so like, what do you really need? Uh, and then if, if it comes with it, great. If not, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I like to speak on that. It's like, I realize I do get this question from time to time. Oh, I'm on Zillow. And somebody sent me a house for something that I may have already explained the house buying process or not to, but you know, I, I know it, we're, we're like squirrels, so our attention span and remember and our memory is crazy. But they'll be like, hey, here's this house for X, Y, Z amount. How I get this, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, here's the process. Well, how do, how do I do that? Well, let, let's walk through. Here's who you got to talk to. So, so that's the key part, too, is when it comes to buying, like, I think a lot of times, first-time homebuyers think as a realtor, like we do everything, which we do, but we're more like we're my, we're more like a coordinator, or like on the sports terms, we're like the offensive coordinator because we got to talk to everybody to make sure the play gets done. So once I connect to, if you already have a lender, me and your lender will connect. But if you need to talk with a lender that you that you don't have yet, then I'll connect you. And so there's a whole process between you and the lender where that's just you for that period. And I explain that until they come back and say you're pre-approved and then I step back in and that's when we start looking, right? But mm-hmm. I think a lot of times where people fall off is at that beginning stage because it's like, well, it, it's a two it's a lot of communication going on. And a lot of times we as people are not good communicators. So from a consumer side, advice that I would give out is you gotta be open minded and open to communicate. And you gotta be patient too, because you gotta realize a lot of the work that needs to be done to get something done is on you. So it's like, hey, you got to talk to this lender. This lender's going to ask questions about your personal information. You can't come off and be like, why are they asking me these questions? When they ask for documentation, you got to provide the documentation or they're not going to be able to provide an accurate picture. But I've had on several occasions, and you know, it's, that's not going to change because that's how we are wired as people, that, oh, well, I talked to a lender on such and such day. <laughs> All right, how'd they go? Well, they said I need to go to this portal and apply. I just want to see if they had talked to you. Well, they wouldn't have talked to me about that. Um, like you, you got to do that. Oh, okay, I didn't. I didn't know I had to do that right now. Like, and so then you get to the point where like if people are like when they were first talking to you, how serious and ready they were to buy because they might talk up a big game. And then it's like when you actually get to the process, it's like oh shit, this is getting real. I you know I don't. I don't know if I'm ready or not yet. So again, being open-minded and ready. Nothing again, going back to that mindset of just being mature about it, right? And um, knowing what you're getting into. Okay, because it ain't no game, homeownership. It's not a game. Nah, you it's gotta not. Really be, you gotta really be about that life. 
Uh, okay, so I want to pivot a little bit and actually, like, I guess about a few topics that at least come to my mind when I think about home ownership. Uh, so one thing, me and my girlfriend, <laughs> when we drive through neighborhoods sometimes, and like, I guess near where I work at, uh, we get to drive through a neighborhood on the road is like the homeowners association. Um, a lot of people joke about it. A lot of people talk about kind of like what that is, but I guess, could you give some like insight on like what it is and like, how does that like affect how people live in said district where yeah, the yeah. association oversees? So yeah, so you, we'll go with association just as a blanket term, but so you got associations that serve a purpose of kind of maintaining neighborhood order, I would say at least. That's what most of them are supposed to do. But you have some that are just there and pay fees. They're just to pay fees. You got others that are actually doing what they're supposed to do. So generally speaking, HOA, again, maintains order by saying, you know, the neighborhood is supposed to look like this aesthetically. Uh, trash goes here. Um, you know, we provide X, Y, and Z services. So you might have a pool, you might have a rec center, tennis court, may have green ways that are paid for by the association. Um, there might be uh, monthly events, weekly events, um, stuff for kids, stuff for back to school, stuff like that. So that's, that, that's a well-oiled machine right there. You have other ones that just do the bare minimum. So, you know, really just, they may do, they may just have a pool in the neighborhood. They may have nothing in the neighborhood, to be honest with you. And the way that it was set up, they just have a fee that's paid, you know, whatever. Um, if you're in a townhome or a condo, you're going to pay. So how in a single family home, you probably pay quarterly, sometimes monthly, semi-annually and or annually. Um, quarterly is most common. In a townhome or a condo, you're going to pay monthly. And there's no set fee. There's no set. There's no common amount or average amount. It can vary. I've seen it as low as $60 a month to as high as $550 a month. But the biggest difference, though, between single family and condo slash townhome is your HOA or your association dues normally cover your actual homeowner's insurance. There's a special policy for that. Um, so the other part is since you typically won't have a, a yard or, you know, space in between, like you may have small yards, but it'll cover exterior maintenance. Um, a lot of units or um, communities will also cover like trash, um, valley trash pickup. Um, sometimes it'll, you know, it includes a common area. So you have a piece of ownership in a common area. Um, you may get additional like coverages in terms of your insurance, but that's, that's typically how that works. So it's like, yeah, you're paying monthly, but you're not having to do a, another bill for homeowner's insurance outside your mortgage payment. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like ideally it could be somebody that really helps the neighborhood thrive, but also it sounds like they can be the fit is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> okay. Cause I've seen a commercial. There's a commercial out right now. I don't know what company it is, but uh, there's a, like, it's like the lady that's like part of homeowner association and she's like, Oh, that's a violation. Oh, that's a violation. And then the person across the street was like, Oh, you met this person. And it's like homeowners association. I'm like, Oh, that sounds awful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that probably is like also kind of like if you equate it to like renting, like that's what kind of like what the complex does, right? So if you have a pool, if you have different amenities, like what you pay, like that's just what they do. And so the homeowner association kind of 
plays that role for your neighborhood is how I see it, right? Is that is that accurate? Yeah, or? yeah. and then normally, um, and normally too, like more so in a single family residence, I think even maybe condo units too. You have owners that you know the homeowners sit on the the board, right? So it's not just these people from this company that come in and run your neighborhood. Now there'll be representation from the company or the the property management company or the HOA or the association that kind of facilitate how things are ran, but it's really the people of the community that make their rules. And so that's how that, that normally works. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I had questions, but you was going over all of them. You gave me responses. So your, your response was so good. <laughs> Uh, which that's that's a good problem to have. That's okay. Um, so another thing that I think is like very like prevalent when I like look, when I was doing research for it is like lengths of like mortgages. So like there's a 15 year and 30 year. And so I guess like, can you quickly kind of talk through some like advantages and disadvantages of like each one and how people yeah, yeah. decide which one? So, I mean, there's, so the 30 year, 15 year mortgage are just the terms, right? So how many years you're paying, right? But there's various different mortgage types to where, you know, you got conventional, which is probably the, the A1 best mortgage. Well, you have less fees tied to it, but again, always terms on rate. FHA is going to be probably one of the more common loan pro loan types for first-time home buyers, especially because we it provides you with the lowest um, down payment requirements. VA loan is for veterans, so anybody that's ever been in the military you got some advantages there. Um, and then, you know, a USDA loan is more so in rural areas. But to answer your question specifically, 30-year fixed mortgage, um, you get the advantage of obviously having the, the lower payment over time, um, but you end up paying more interest and you pay more for the life of the loan. Um, so it's giving you the advantage to pay it back a little longer. But in terms like, let's say you, you borrow $400,000, after all the interest is said and done, you may have paid $788,000 on that house, right? So mm -hmm. sounds wild, but, you know, have people go around like an am Amor table and you'll, you'll see why. Or have somebody. So people, you know, it's not just, hey, I'm going to loan you this money, but the bank got to make money too. So that's, that's how the bank makes money is off interest. So the longer you have a loan, the longer the bank makes money. So... Looking at a 15-year term, you you may initial your payment may initially be higher. So a 15-year term may be you might have a variable rate to it, or you can get a fixed 15-year rate. But again, your payment may be higher. Now the advantage to that is obviously you pay your house off quicker. So you your payment amount may not necessarily double per se, but you may it always it would always come down to the interest rate. So like with these shorter terms too, your credit will more than likely have to be ideal versus, you know, kind of teetering in that, in that, in that questionable mark. All right. So we loan you money for a quicker period of time. You are less of a risk. We loan your money for a longer period of time, might be higher risk, or you may have just such good credit that you got options, right? So yeah, think about it is you get to pick what you want to do we were not afraid of you paying us this money back or the cost of the loan being whatever. So it's like, you got 15 years. Cool. Now there's other ways 
to pay your mortgage down quicker. So for example, let's say you have, let's say you have a 30 year mortgage, right? The, the key thing is the interest, like I was saying before. So if you make payments, by, make payments bi-monthly, right? And when I say bi-monthly is you still have your normal payments. So if your payment's $1,000, and on the 16th, you pay 500, and then on the first, you pay the other 500. Well, what that does is the the way that calculations are made is it looks like you're making two payments in one month, but it's the same amount. So it resets the interest rate every time you make a payment. So by the end of the year, it'll you'll make an additional payment. And if you do that for the life of the loan, for a 30-year loan, you save eight years, that's what they estimate. So technically, you paying on that loan for 22 years. Um, there's other formulas out there if you make more than one payment a year, two payments a year, how that goes towards your principal, but that's that's really what happens. And then over time, you know, you start out when you pay your mortgage, um, you're, you'll be interest heavy, and then more payments you make, it'll start evening out kind of like a bell curve to more principal and toward the end of the loan. Um, you'll see that, but most people honestly, nowadays don't ride out the full 30-year term they end up selling their property um whether they upgrade family gets bigger downgrade want something new like most people don't stay in a in a full in their full loan term they really just they look at how much equity they have in the house and see if it's an advantage to them of you know selling a home and then there's some people that are just committed like to paying off their home like you have a lot of people like that so Okay. Okay. That, that that was very helpful. I didn't realize it was that complex, but I think hearing you kind of talk through it was, was actually helpful to know. Um, so I guess my goal is to always keep this podcast on an hour. And so we got last uh, seven minutes. So I guess uh, two things I, I want to do. So I guess first, can you, let's say somebody's listening and now they're like starting to explore home ownership. So I guess like, what are three things that you would kind of like advise them to do next to kind of, I guess, prepare to go through the home buying process? Um, yeah, so step number one, again, look at your credit, you know, understand what's on your credit report because you, you know, you may know it best, but again, you want to be realistic with yourself, take feelings out of it and, you know, kind of prepare yourself from that standpoint. Um, you know, two, kind of start making a, a list of what you need versus what you want. So if it's your first home, what do you need right now? You know, I think the hardest part, what we look at is, especially when eight, you're looking at HDTV and all the other good stuff is, dang, I need all this in my house, but then you realize the cost. So it's like, you, there's ways to make yourself look pretty and stuff like that. So find out what you need. And then, you know, based off your affordability, if you can get what you need plus what you want, then that's how you break that out. And then, you know, the third thing is give yourself time. So again, I, I think a lot of people, what I've seen com very common is, Oh, my lease ends, you know, my lease ends next month and I think I want to buy a house and I'm ready to get that process started. And so if you didn't do step one and two, you're probably going to be highly discouraged because you realize you can't do step three in less than 30 days unless you had a cash to do it. Right. So give yourself time to prepare. You know, if you're in a lease right now, I would start no less than six months at the time uh, between your lease ends. gives you plenty of time to prepare. Um, Best case scenario, you're ready to purchase sooner than later. Worst case is you got a few months to work on. 
Um, you know, I hate to see when people say I got two, one or two months to go for my lease in, and they got to go month to month or they got to go, they end up tying up until another year or just kind of put them in a situation that they didn't want to be in and get discouraged from home ownership because they didn't do step one and two to prepare. Okay. Okay. That, 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 there it is. There it is. Um, so if people, let's say some of my listeners live in the Charlotte uh, or Rock Hill area um, and they want to connect with you, where, how can they, how can they reach you? How can they find you? Anything like that? Oh yeah, definitely. So you find me on Facebook, Tristan McNeil. I spell my, my name with a Y. So T-R-Y-S-T-A-N and that's McNeil with two L's. Um, I'm, I'm Instagram heavy on my business page. So Tristan, T-R-Y-S-T-A-N underscore the T-H-E underscore realtor. So R-E-A-L-T-O-R um, is my Instagram handle. And so I got a lot of good content on there, videos, education stuff. So that's where I'm at. All right. Beautiful. I will make sure I put all your information in the show notes. So if people want to just click onto it, that can make it a little easier than have to keep listening over and over and try to type it in and find you. So I'll be sure to do oh, that. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much, Tristan, for dropping by and giving all your knowledge to help us kind of prepare and understand kind of what home ownership can look like, at least within an hour. Because I know it's like <laughs> you said, it could be three to four months, right? And so an hour can't do it justice. But I think at least hearing you talk through kind of stuff that people can start considering is ultimately my goal with this podcast. And hopefully that's helped people. And it's helped me because I'm starting to I'm, I know I'm not going to live on a college campus for the rest of my life. And so um, <laughs> things I need to start thinking about and preparing for as me and my girlfriend prepare for that next stage of life, um, home ownership. So, uh, she's a loyal listener. So shout out to her and, <laughs> there's that. uh, and then everybody else, if you have any questions, feel free to follow Tristan or feel free to let me know and we can kind of go from there. All right. See y'all next time. Peace.